0: Some of you are just waiting for the screen to drop, right? <laughs> Why isn't it going down? Well, it's not going down today because we're unplugged this morning here at uh, Grace Chapel in Wilmington. And uh, I thought we'd just take a moment uh, today to, uh, to just remember the significance of what God has been doing in our midst for the past three years. You know, it was three years ago this Sunday, maybe you hadn't heard yet, um, that uh, a few hundred of us gathered in this room to celebrate the very first uh, public services of Grace Chapel's Wilmington campus. And uh, I remember standing right here on that morning, um, even before the service started, looking out that window, wondering if the cars would come in. And sure enough, uh, they started streaming in and filling up uh, our parking lot. And uh, I remember that day. I I actually was so excited as I was at the beginning of that morning. um, I think during the announcement time, I reached in my pocket and I felt my... uh, my cell phone, that then was a, also a camera, and I pulled it out and I said, just wait a minute, I want to take pictures of everyone here. Do you remember that, some of you? And uh, here are the four pictures that I took on that morning at those two services. Maybe you recognize yourself in some of these. There's the first, the second. Um, and then at the second service, here you are. Man, what a good-looking group of folks. If you were here on that Sunday morning, that very first Sunday morning, would you just stand up, please? I'd love to know how many of you here this morning were there on that very first day. That is remarkable. We're so glad that you've joined us. That day, it just wasn't uh, the Wilmington folks. We had a lot of Lexington supporters who came over. We had friends and family. My parents and some clan from Syracuse came down. So uh, we filled this place with some ringers. But but look at us now and think of how many of you weren't here on that day who are here as a result. What a great, great uh, morning uh, to remember that, to reflect on God's faithfulness to us. Um, that's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to um, consider for a few moments the significance of the relationships that have been formed here and how much they, those ties mean in our life um, as individuals and as a church. And I want us just to acknowledge how good it is uh, to be on mission together, that we are partners in the work that God's called us to do. And as we consider these things this morning, I'd just like us to remember that we're in the midst of a series we're calling Everyday Matters. Um, And uh, in this series, we're discovering that God just uses the ordinariness of our lives and he leverages it for his purposes, that there's no aspect of our life that is uh, too mundane, too ordinary, too matter of fact, that God can't move in and use it uh, for uh, his purposes for the saving work that he's doing in this world. And so um, last, uh, we started by talking about how our neighborhoods matter um, our, our relationships in our neighborhoods. Uh, last week, Pastor Brian spoke about the significance of, of the daily grind and how what we do at home matters. It's actually the first of a two part message. He's going to bring the second message uh, next week on the home. And today, on our third anniversary day, we're going to focus on the importance of our life as a church. We're going to be thinking about how our church matters. And as a way to frame our conversation, I'd like to bring us this morning uh, to a passage that's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 and verses 9 through 12. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to share some reflections on this passage and its implications for us. I want to tell a couple of stories and maybe have uh, somebody share a part of their story as well. And then at the end of this service, I'd like for us to uh, to join in and uh, to mark the moment together in a significant way. So if uh, you have that tile that was given to you on the way in, uh, hang on to that for later in the service. If you don't have one, that's all right. We have some at the tables up front that we'll use later in the service. So 1 Peter 2. Let's hear God's word together. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among your unbelieving neighbors that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now at the time that Peter wrote these words, he was using some very familiar imagery. Um, And as listeners during that day would have heard these words read to them or read them themselves, um, an image would have come to every one of their minds. Uh, The stones, the spiritual house, the royal priesthood, the spiritual sacrifices. It would have all brought to their minds thoughts about the temple in Jerusalem. Now, before Jesus comes onto the stage of human history, the focus of worship for God's people was at the temple in Jerusalem. It, it found its center there. And in so many ways, that physical building represented their connection to God. It was within the temple that the priests did their work. The priests who were acting as, uh, as connectors, mediators between God and, and God's people. There they would make sacrifices. There they would offer prayers. There they would burn incense. And of course, it was the temple to which pilgrimage was made. People gathered from all over on special days of remembrance and celebration to celebrate there at the heart of the city of Jerusalem at the temple. So all of this would have been very familiar language. Even at the temple, remember, that's where God resided, at the center of that building in the very Holy of, of Holies. Um, but here in 1 Peter, I want us to notice that there's something new is happening. Something different is taking place because when Jesus comes onto the scene, there's a radical shift underway. God wants us to think about uh, how we relate to him differently than they did back then. Do you hear the shift? Listen again. As you come to him, you living stones, Jesus rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. You see, there's a move afoot. There's a change in the wind about how we see ourselves and our experience of worship. And it's a shift that informs how we think about who we are as a church here at Grace Chapel in Wilmington. The shift is this, that the church is not a building. The church is a people. You see, the church isn't a building that people establish, the the church is a people that God is establishing. It's not a building where we gather to do things here at this place, but it's a people through whom God does his things. I remember the early days when we began to think about uh, launching a campus, uh, a a new campus of Grace Chapel, and we had this vision that we sensed from God. To, uh, to continue growing Grace Chapel, not through planting another church, but through establishing some campuses around the Boston, greater Boston area. Now, as we entered and embarked on that process, you know what the first thing we did was? It wasn't scouring the area looking for property. That's not where we started. We didn't uh, hire a realtor and start our pursuit of finding a place. What we did was we started by thinking about the people that might make up this church. We we began getting out lists of people and and pouring over names. Uh, We began by meeting with people in small gatherings to see if this vision started to resonate with some that were around us. Uh, We began looking for people who would help us in the task, not just who would be led by us, but who would lead with us, who would be in charge and oversee Kidstown ministry and the youth ministry. who would would lead small groups of life communities all around. And so we we just looked at, poured over names of people, many of whom are here today. Um, And so then we started thinking about where those people lived and who were their neighbors. So we started pulling out maps. We started pinpointing each one of you on a map and seeing what your connections were to what parts of towns and so forth and uh, who your neighbors might be. And then, of course, we invited people in we invited people in to consider joining with us. We asked for 200 people who'd commit to a year to worship with us and to serve with us, many of whom are still here this day. You know, it's interesting because in the, in the early days, we didn't even exactly know where the church would meet. Uh, you remember, some of you remember us calling it, uh, not the Wilmington campus, but the new campus. And then we found a collection of people around Reading, And then what did we call it next? We called it the Reading campus. Well, we had to swallow our words because it wasn't until we found this lo- location that we realized that we really are going to be the Wilmington campus because the building itself was in Wilmington. Who knew? Um, but that's the way it should be, right? That, that you don't start with bricks and mortar. You start with human beings and hearts. You start with finding out what God's doing in the lives of people. During the offertory, we saw a few pictures from that construction project of uh, of this former Casa de Fior as it was transformed into what it is today. As I think back on those days, I do think it was fun to see this building take shape. Uh, I loved uh, seeing it transform from the Azalea Ballroom right here with that, uh, you know, and be, some of you wish we were back in that day. <clears throat> it was uh, 1,500 pieces of little crystal that needed to be taken off of that. Let me just tell you, that was, I didn't do that. But uh, it was great to see the walls go up. It was great to see the ceiling tiles come in and uh, the carpet start to be laid. There's our lobby being transformed right before our very eyes. Every morning I'd walk in and I'd get excited. My pulse would quicken because I knew we were getting closer uh, to our opening. Um, but but again, it's not the building that, that matters most. Um, the building going up was per, uh, impressive, but the real heart of this place was what God was doing in the lives of people. And, uh, And I... I I remember waking up uh, or coming up to the campus one night, it was actually late night, about 9.30, quarter to 10, um, to show my father-in-law around the place. Uh, All the lights were out and uh, it was in disarray and obviously it was after a work day here and there was cement on the floor and dirt and all of it. But we were walking around imagining what might be someday. And as we were there, suddenly we were probably back here in this area and I hear a door open on the other side of that lobby. And I'm like, who has the key, first of all, and who's coming in the building? So I, we, we, ducked, we ducked away, probably behind that wall, and then we peeked around, and you know what I saw? This is what I saw. Peter. <laughs> Peter Salahian was here with his dad, Tim, and his grandfather. And you know what they were doing? They had their arms loaded up with donations for Kidstown so that we could get started when the building was ready um, and they were walking in, and I think it was their probably second or third uh, delivery during those last, those last couple of weeks, and Tim had a key to the place because he was doing something important, and I remember when I saw Peter and I see this picture, I remember this is what the church is about. It's about a human being who's seeing what God is doing in the life of his family and in the life of a congregation. Um, here, Peter at six, I don't know, six or seven years old was able to see that God is a God who's at work and that God builds his church through individual lives. Um, That's what the church is about. Um, That's what's at the real heart of, of what God is doing. It's with people. And here's Peter, one of our living stones that God is building. And so over the years, as God has brought many of you to this place, more than to a place, he's brought you to a people. The church isn't just a building, but a people. The second thing that uh, Peter tells us, not that Peter, but the Peter in the Bible, (laughs) is that, that the church isn't just people, but the church is a people. You see, it's not just a collection of living stones. It's actually a collective of living stones. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I don't want us to miss the importance of this distinction uh, because I believe it informs the way that we experience our life as a church and the way that the experience of church should actually be. Um, There's a big difference between us being people who go to church and us being a people who make up the church? A big distinction between those two, and when we, as a church, understand and live as a people, something powerful gets unleashed among us as we live that way. A few years ago, a, a pair of Harvard social scientists wrote a book on after doing some research on social networks, and the title of the book is "Connected: The Surprising Power." of our social networks and how they shape our lives. And in their book, the authors, Nicholas Christakis and uh, James Fowler, they explained that a social network is different than a crowd uh, or just a group. They said if you were to look at a crowd of people on a social map, it would look like this or more, however large the crowd is. Uh, Many many circles um, and in and of itself a, a fairly potent force. But a social network looks different. A social network looks like this. You see, between the circles, there are, there are ties, relational connections. And, uh, and suddenly we realize that, that not only are we individuals that come, but we're in individuals connected to one another. And what social scientists are telling us these days is that these networks, like, like macro organisms, take on a life of their own. And, and they move in ways that, that really do look as if they're alive. And so people who make them up, they've discovered, are shaped and influenced by one another within that network. Now, the research clearly shows us that within networks, a network like that, things flow. Things flow. And those things that flow influence, influence us things get introduced into the network on one side and make their way through the network changing the entire structure like waves it ripples throughout and so they speak to it, they speak about it as, as if it's a contagion you know we talk about a viral video because it's contagious it spreads from one place in the network to another so what kinds of things spread all kinds of things spread everything behaviors spread through the network, both good and bad. Our life attitudes, our, our, our outlook on the world, um, our decisions to act or not to act in various ways spread through this network. Even emotions spread through the network. They, they charted uh, loneliness, the feeling of loneliness making its way through this social network. They said if one person is lonely in a network, that it can start to have an effect and make other people feel lonely like a contagion. And so we're not only influenced by those who are directly next to us in the network, who we have relational friendship ties, but, but this is where the research gets really interesting. We are shaped not only by the person directly next to us, our friends, but we're actually shaped by our friends' friends. And by our friends' friends' friends. Uh, a, a degree of difference, three, um, uh, three uh, uh, what do you call that, generations out. People that we don't even know start to have an impact on us. And so what the researchers say that the plain truth is, is this. Social networks tend to transfer and magnify whatever it is that they're seeded with. Whatever a social network is seeded with with gets transferred throughout and gets magnified. And so I believe it's part of the genius of God's plan in the world, to bring together not just people, but a people, and to have them relate with one another um, in in relational ways. And uh, like stones of the temple wall, each stone touching another, and not all of them related to one another directly, but together having a relationship that is part of a whole. And so through a people, good things flow. And our impact gets magnified. So the question is, what gets seeded within the network of a local church or of the church that God's creating? I would suggest a few things. First, he seeds it with a sense of identity. Identity. It's it's our view of who we are. So Peter, remember, says that that there's a creator God who loves us and, and who longs for us and who chooses us thinking clearly about each one of us and invites us to be his, chosen by God and precious to him. So our identity is that we are people of great value. Our identity is affected. Something more, he also seeds the network with this pattern of how it is that we should live together, showing us a way to live, our conduct, how we choose to live. And The Bible tells us that we're a holy people, that we're to be distinctive from among the people that we live with, that we're to be set apart, that we're to have a different style of life and a different pattern of living, not only to give in to our selfishness and sin, but actually to resist actively those places within us that lead us to, to places of darkness. And he calls us out of darkness and into light. And having been forgiven, having, been, having received mercy, he calls us to live good lives. Our conduct, how we choose to live. So identity, conduct. And then he seeds that network with a, with a third thing. That is a sense of purpose or mission. Several times he refers to our role as priests. You know, the, the role of the priest was, was the one who was the conduit between God God and humanity between God and, and the people. And so here he's calling each one of us to consider ourselves in that priestly role. That where we live, our, our mission is to help connect people with God. And that we really can live by the, by the quality of our life in ways that, that can accomplish that purpose. And that when people find themselves connected with God, they too become part of that priesthood of all believers. To live such good lives among our neighbors that they would see something in us that would lead them into a relationship with Christ as well. So this is the genius. Now we've got a network going here. But he doesn't call call us to live in a bounded network. He calls us to live this way among our neighbors, among those who don't know God. That those network ties start linking to our neighborhoods, to our coworkers and their friends, to our family and the people around us. And if it's true that our friends and our friends' friends and our friends' friends' friends have an impact in our lives, then we, as we touch the network of the church into our social networks in the world, the church has an ability to have influence and to start to shape and to be on mission together wonder if you've found in your life ways to live like that, where you've just allowed yourself to be shaped by the people in this room, by the people who gather at the next and the third hour, to be shaped by God's church, to see yourself as living stones poured into by a God who created us, and then to take that and just be who you are in the relationships that you live in. It's why it's an ordinary relationship ordinary reality it's an everyday kind of experience but it's very significant and networks have power that is greater than the sum of just its parts well I thought it'd be good this morning to hear some stories about how this all works its way out and what it looks like Um, how we as living stones make up the church and how we make a difference in each other's lives and how God works through us to fulfill his purpose So the first person I asked to share this morning um, is Ivan Elias. Some of you know Ivan. Um, Ivan has been at Grace for almost two years now. Um, Before that, wasn't a part of uh, Grace Chapel, and uh, I don't believe was a part of a church. But he became part of our church after we opened our doors. Um, Ivan told me, I'm scared to death to talk in public, but I'll write something for you to read. So I said, okay. I said, well, why don't you send me a picture at least so people know who it is that's talking. So Ivan sent me this picture. (laughs) Did I mention that Ivan is shy uh, and sort of afraid to be? But after this service, he'll be standing right there greeting at the door. So if you see somebody looking like this, you'll know who it is. Uh, Let me read you a little bit of Ivan's uh, story. He wrote, a few years ago, I found myself living right across the highway from Grace as uh, they moved into the neighborhood. Inquisitive to learn more about this community and the church, I reached out to Tom. It was on May 21st, 2012, at 7.32 p.m. (laughs) At that time, I wasn't quite sure why I reached out, especially since it had been years since I'd stepped into a church. While my grandmother had been a devout Christian ever since I was a child, and my mother was saved in 1993, I still recall not really believing it, I was never really drawn to organized religion. It's not to say that I wasn't a believer in Christ. I just preferred my one-on-one relationship that I felt that I had. While I expected to receive a reply from Tom regarding my initial inquiry, I didn't really expect it 16 minutes later. (laughs) I just want to say it was Monday night, and I was actually in the building with a team, with a group from Alpha. So uh, one of our first Alpha gatherings, and I got that email. Shot right back to him because I heard he was just across the street. And he said thus, by 8:15 on May 21st, 2012, I first stepped into Grace Chapel <laughs> to learn more about the church that I'd driven past every day on my way home from work. He said that was 727 days ago. Over the last 727 days a lot has certainly happened. When I first started attending Grace Chapel, I would just sit back and listen to the message each week. During each of those weekly messages, I'd get a sense that the message was specifically crafted to my particular personal challenges. And most of 2012 and early 2013, there were certainly personal challenges to deal with. There were many days that I feel that whatever it was I was experiencing in my life was for a reason. There were certainly times which I wanted to just give up and throw in the towel. But each week that I'd come to church, it would give me the peace of mind I needed to carry on. I started reading scripture for the first time in my life. Not that I could fully understand what it was that I was reading, But as a whole, Scripture somehow eased the burden that I felt during those challenging times. By just watching how long-time members of Grace Chapel carried themselves, I learned valuable life lessons. And over my time at church, I've been able to find it a place that's provided me with a kind of family. The kindness that I witness on a weekly basis is something that truly exudes, and I love being able to experience it. My daughter has also made such wonderful friends at Grace. And while she's still a bit restless at times in the sanctuary, I'm very blessed to be able to share my church experience with her. It's funny, my mother has been letting me and my sister know for years that she would pray that we'd find a good church. In three days, it will be two years since I first stepped foot into Grace Chapel to meet with a pastor. I look back now on that first email and honestly say it was a perfect time to send it. Who knew that this West Coast native would need to travel all the way to New England to make my mom's prayer come true? is that a great story? <laughs> you hear the power of that network at work, the power of living stones being influenced uh, to one another and on one another simply by being around each other and sharing each other's lives. Now, there's one more story I'd like to share uh, before we uh, embark on this little uh, moment, uh, and it's uh, from a person who's been part of Grace Chapel for, for 20 years, two years, the first story, two decades, the second, and uh, the person is uh, Bonnie Deremus. so Bonnie's going to come up, and uh, I think she's bringing Matt along to be her moral support. I did twist Bonnie's arm into coming up and actually sharing, so Bonnie, we're so glad that you're here, and uh, thanks for coming to share. You too, Matt. Thanks.
1: I couldn't get away with ha- <laughs> I couldn't get away with having a picture up. So, I get to read. So, 3 years ago, we had the opportunity to be a part of the leadership team looking to start the First Grace Chapel campus. After 16 years of attending Grace Chapel in Lexington, this decision was very difficult for us because it would mean not not only changing where we went to church, but also how and with whom we did church. We weren't quite sure what this whole campus thing would look like and how it would work for our family. Change is never easy, but we really felt that the Lord was calling us to step out of our comfort zone, like now, (laughs) and take this step of faith. From the very beginning, the Lord was continually confirming to us that this is what He wanted us to do, and as the Wilmington campus began to take shape, we knew this is where He wanted us to be. Only a couple of miles from our home, we felt that this was a great blessing and an opportunity for us to reach out in Jesus' name to the community in which we have lived for the last 24 years. It has meant so much for us to be a part of such a vibrant community of faith which supports and encourages one another. On a personal level, shortly after the launch of the Wilmington campus, our 21-year-old son had a serious accident that led to a head injury. When it happened, we found ourselves recipients of an overwhelming outpouring of prayer and support from so many of you. So many people prayed, visited, and provided meals for us during his stay in the hospital and throughout rehab. Ironically, we had only just met Ivan, whose story you just heard, and were pretty overwhelmed when he and his mother, visiting at that period of time from Texas, I believe, um, visited our son in rehab, unbeknownst to us, to pray for him and leave some fabulous homemade Mexican food for us to enjoy. I can't tell you how much it meant to us that someone in our church that had been in our lives for such a short time met our son and us in that moment. It made us feel like our church was there for us. Our son is doing well today, and we have been truly blessed and believe that we have found our place here at Grace Chapel in Wilmington. We look forward to seeing what the Lord has in store for the years ahead.
0: You see how the uh, living stones uh, connect to each other. You know the truth is, even if uh, even if you're a stone that's on the southwest corner of the build, the spiritual building that's being built, you you have an impact on the northwest corner. That together we are we're united in the thing that God is building. I also want to thank Bonnie for just living out what she mentioned. She wanted to be a a, a witness in the community to Jesus' love. Uh, Bonnie and a team uh, spearheaded. Um, just this past Friday night, uh, hosting um, Wilmington High School's pre-prom promenade where all the couples came out. And we hosted it right here at Grace Chapel. And uh, this is a picture of that event uh, in flow. And that is the front of our uh, sanctuary right here. Uh, Bonnie and her team pulled that together just and gave it to the high school in town. We had hundreds and hundreds of people here uh, before prom this past Friday night. So thank you, Bonnie, for that as well. Well, before we go, I thought it'd be good for us to mark this moment together. And and as we do, I want us to point out one more thing that we discover in this passage in Peter, in 1 Peter. And it's this, that we are living stones, but Jesus is the cornerstone. For in scripture it says, "'See, I lay a stone in Zion, "'a chosen and precious cornerstone, "'and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame.'" The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone of the building is that stone that's laid first in the foundation. And it's important since all the other stones will be set in reference to that stone. And it actually determines the position of the entire structure. And so, what it means is that we as a church, that, that our relationship to Jesus. It makes all the difference in the world. It is absolutely foundational. He's the one that brings all of these stories to life. He's the one that gives shape to our church. The church is not just a building, but a people. But not just people, but a people. And not just a people, but a people who have Christ at the center of our life together. So to remind us of all of these things, I'd like us to create something together. In the front of the sanctuary, uh, there are tables, and on each table, there's a panel. And uh, on the panel, in your hand, you can reach into your pockets or wherever and pull out a tile. Uh, These are tiles representing the stones that we are, the living stones. What we're going to do is we're going to bring these tiles and dip them in the glue that's on the uh, plates and place our tiles on the panels. And uh, the glue goes, by the way, on the side of the tile with the ridges um, so that the flat surface stays on top and is visible. What I'm going to invite you to do is, uh, and we'll have ushers help you guide guide us through this process, and the kids are going to come first. Um, As you come down, dip your tile in and set it on the panel. And this week, we're going to assemble these panels into the form and shape of a cross. And so this will be hung in our lobby, right in the uh, entryway alcove, uh, for us to remember who we are as a community, living stones built into a spiritual uh, house. And we'll remember that it's Christ who lives and moves in and through us. So we'll be singing uh, as well through this time. So let's join together and worship God.